want you to listen to the man who was there. Listen to what happened to the first man to go into that empty tomb. And if you would like to follow along, I'm reading a few verses from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John. He was there. John was there. He was the second man to go into the tomb. Beginning with the first verse of the 20th chapter of John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Got the picture now. The stone had been rolled away, as you could see in that rolling area there, if you noticed, in front of the tomb, with a big rolling stone. And so she ran. She ran. As the choir ran in this morning, singing, He is risen. In the 20th chapter of John, everybody's running. Something's happening that's changing their lives and through them the world. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the way John referred to himself, the other disciple. And, he sa and she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth, and the other disciple, the author of this, John, went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. And the other disciple, that is John, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Underline that. He did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him, and he entered the tomb. Impetuous Simon Peter ran right on in. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and... This is key, the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, John, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw and believed. Now let me explain what is happening here. When Jesus died, they wrapped his body in linen, like a shroud, tightly wrapped, wrapped about him. The opening for the face was left, and they placed over the face a napkin like a handkerchief. Now the body was placed in that tomb with the face facing toward the east. And as you walked into that tomb via the film a few moments ago, you walked in and you turned to the right and you were looking east, and the body of Jesus would have been immediately to your left, right there in front of you. But you couldn't see the head because of that stone wall about two feet high. All you could see were the linen wrappings. Now, how were the linen, linen wrappings there? And in what shape were they? When my hand is in this ski glove, it looks like a hand. But when I take my hand out of it, because of the nature of this glove, it still maintains the shape of the hand, even though there is no hand in it. Very important. When John first got there and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings. He saw the shape of the body of Jesus, which he thought was still encased in the linen wrappings. Simon Peter, though, when he got there, ran in, and he got past that little stone wall and looked down, and he saw he was not there. The napkin that had laid across his face, the linen handkerchief, had been rolled up and placed to the side. And the body of Jesus was not in the linen wrappings. Now, 
Obviously, the body of Jesus was not stolen. If they'd stolen the body of Jesus, they would have taken body and linen wrappings and all. Obviously, Jesus did not just get uh, uh, wounded and recover and get up and unwind the wrapping. The wrappings still were in the shape of the body. And it was only when Simon Peter went in and then later John and saw that there was no one in that linen glove that he knew that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. He was not there. His body had in a sense, the earthly body that he had, had vaporized and the new body likened to his first body, visible, personal, touchable, a body that would eat, a body that would sit down and talk, a body that you could touch, that Jesus Christ was alive. They knew that he was alive. And they knew he was not in that tomb. Now, the point for us this morning is, it is one thing to know that Jesus Christ is alive. It's something else to know that he's alive in us. It's one thing to know the historical fact of the resurrection. It's something else to know the personal fact of the resurrected Christ living within us. We can believe that the stone was rolled away as Mary did. We can believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead as Simon, Peter, and John did and still not know the living power of the resurrection within us because they didn't know that at that moment. They were excited. They were frightened. They were perplexed but they did not know that he was alive to live within them. The very fact of the resurrection will not change your life. We can believe that, and it will not change our lives. It is only when something else occurs inside of us that we begin to experience resurrection life and resurrection power. For example... A Jewish rabbi, a professor at a university in Europe, a Jewish rabbi professor, wrote a book about two years ago saying that it is verifiable, historically verifiable and believable, it can be validated that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. But he said that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but he was raised to be the Gentile Messiah. Gentile or Jew, any man who has the power given him by God to overcome death and give life to everybody is my Messiah and my Savior. The disciples, however, knew that fact, and yet they were still afraid. Look at the latter part of the 20th chapter, beginning on the 19th verse. Same day, same day, still Sunday, the Lord's Day, this day, 2,000 years ago. They knew the stone had been rolled away. They knew the body was not in the grave wrappings, in the linen wrappings. They knew that Jesus was alive. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know for sure what was happening, and they were afraid. U.S. News and World Report said in a recent issue that the number one emotion in America today is fear. Fear. Fear of others, fear of the future, fear of the past. Fear of the perplexing problems that we all face. They too were afraid. Now listen to it. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were because they were afraid. Isn't it amazing how fear closes doors? 
It closes the doors of our mind, the doors of our heart. It closes the door for divine potential within us. It closed the doors for fear. Jesus came and stood in their midst. Jesus came and got in the middle of them. That's what he is saying here. It's a great word. Jesus Christ got out of the tomb. He, he was delivered from the power of death to do what? To get right in the middle of your life and of mine. That is not, not as an objective spectator watching from some celestial balcony. He has come to get right in the middle of your life and of mine, even when our lives are characterized by fear and we lock doors and we retreat. He has come to enter us and to enter our lives and to provide us with a kind of powerful living that we have never experienced before. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Shalom. Peace. Be still. Don't be afraid, fellas. Peace. Okay. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples saw that, it says they were overjoyed. They were overwhelmed. They were overjoyed. They were ecstatic. And Jesus said to them again, Shalom. Peace. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. It is I. Now, all over the world today, thousands of devoted, dedicated Christians, pastors, preachers, priests, Sunday school teachers, are endeavoring to do what I want to do here in these next few seconds for ourselves and for everybody else. How do you move from an event to an experience? How do you move from a historical event that occurred 2,000 years ago to an experience that can make a difference in my life and in your life today? Well, you and I can intellectually believe in God. Ninety-plus percent of Americans believe in God. We can believe in God. We can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We can believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God. We can believe the Bible to be the Word of God and still not have our own life personally changed. If you define belief in terms of intellectual agreement, intellectual assent to certain philosophical principles of immortality. You can believe doctrine. You can believe the church. You can believe the preacher. You can believe metaphysics. You can believe philosophy. You can believe all of that. I can believe all of that, and not anything about my life will be changed until something happens that brings that external, verifiable, historical fact into my own life experientially and does something with Buckner Fanning inside this skin, then I do not know what it means to be a Christian. I know what it means to talk about Christ. 
or to know about Christ or even to intellectually believe in Christ, but I do not know the power of Christ in my life until it gets into my life. Now, that's the key. The word believe or believe is made up of two old English words which mean by life. B-Y-L-I-E-S. What you believe is what you live. If you want to know what your faith is, look at your life. What you believe is the way you live. By your life, you demonstrate whether or not this dynamic gospel of the risen Christ has become a part of you. Or it's just some sort of Easter compartment or Sunday reservation until it becomes a part of the warp and woof of our life. We have not experienced what Jesus Christ came to do to get in the middle of us and in the middle of our lives. For example, most of you know that I am a, I'm a believer in aerobics. I've been on an aerobic program for 20, nearly 25 years. Dr. Kenneth Cooper, Ken and Millie were active members of this church for 10 years when he wrote that first book and he got me started running and I've run two, three, up to five miles, four or five days a week now for many, many years. Many of you are doing the same thing. I can believe in Ken Cooper's book. I can believe that Ken Cooper is right scientifically. That if you exercise, if you take care of yourself, watch what you eat, that you can live better and you can live longer. Now, if... If any of you are looking for some extra proof of that, look at the Oklahoma Sooners basketball team. Oklahoma Sooners defeated Arizona last night. And you know one reason? It's because Ken Cooper was asked by his alma mater at the University of Oklahoma to inaugurate a conditioning program for that basketball team. And did you notice, if you watch the game, how many times during the game they were talking about the stamina and the strength of the Sooners and the reason they won was because they were in condition. Now, you and I can believe that Kenneth Cooper is right you and I can believe that aerobics will work, but if we leave the book on the shelf and we're 30 pounds overweight, never exercise and smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, friend, we're checking out soon. It doesn't make any difference what we believe about Kenneth Cooper or aerobics until what he's talking about and writing about and I am believing about becomes a part of my behaving about until it becomes a part of my muscles and my heart and my oxygen is not going to have any effect upon me. You and I can believe the Bible, we can believe God, we can believe Christ, but until we let him inside of us to become a part of us, we will not know the vivifying power of the resurrection within us. Little girl was afraid she couldn't sleep at night. Darkness frightened her. Her father walked in there and said, Sweetheart, everything's okay. We're just down the hall in our bedroom. I've made a little tape recording here. I'm going to put it on your tape player of your mother and me. We're talking to you and we're singing some little songs to you to help you relax. We're right here. And the little girl tried to dry her eyes and she said, That's fine. But I want somebody with skin on. Listen. Principles are powerless to change our lives. Principles are powerless to change our lives. A little child is crying, and you go up to the little crying child, and you start talking to him or to her about the principle of motherhood. 
Is that going to dry the tears and drive away the fears? Not at all. That little child doesn't care a thing in the world about the principle of motherhood. That little child wants her mother. My friend, when you and I are behind the closed doors of doubt and fear, what we need is not just the divine principle about God. We want somebody with skin on, and someone with skin on, namely God in Christ, has come to be a part of your life and of mine and to get underneath our skin. And when he gets into our skin, he begins to live out his own life and power within us. And we have a strength that we had never known before, and we have a power we've never experienced before, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he is doing by and through our lives. By lifing it, we experience his power. I've shared this story uh, before with some of you. If you don't mind, I'd like to repeat it. I like to play golf. I went out Saturday. Mike and I went out. Our oldest son went out to play golf. And we, we played, just the two of us. And, and uh, I was doing so badly, Mike was trying to be discreet and polite and nice to his father. He said, uh, on about the eighth hole, he said, you know, Dad, I've got a lot of things to do. Oh, what do you say we just play nine holes? I said, that's probably a pretty good suggestion. Maybe the bleeding will stop or whatever, and I'll feel better later. But it was terrible. Oh, my, it was awful. Uh, and I got thinking about this illustration. And hey, Suppose somehow miraculously and wonderfully the spirit of Jack Nicholas could come live in me. Somehow his mind would begin to permeate my mind some of his instincts about the game would begin to translate themselves into my feeling, into my muscles and all. Now, I would never be able to play golf as well as Jack Nicklaus, but I could sure play a lot better than I played yesterday. If somehow the spirit of Jack Nicklaus could just get into my thinking and into my reacting and into my muscular coordination to a degree, boy, just think how I could play. That looked pretty good then, didn't it? You notice that? That's <laughs> right out there, just like that. Now, I can't have him. You know it can't have him. Let me use another analogy. Suppose the spirit of Shakespeare could come live in me or live in you. Now, I never would be able to write King Lear or Henry VIII, but I could write a lot better than I write. If somehow Shakespeare could just permeate my mind and I began to think with his thoughts and I would begin to see things the way he saw them, begin to put words together a little like he magically, marvelously combined words. I'd never be a Shakespeare, but I'd be a better Buckner Fanning as a writer. Or you can go on forever, the analogy. Suppose Michelangelo could come live in us. Oh, think of the art we could produce. We never would be a Michelangelo. We would never create a Pieta or a David or a Moses. But we'd do better than we've ever done. That can't happen. Jack Nicholas can't come live in me. Beethoven can't. Shakespeare can't. Michelangelo can't. But the one who raised his son from the dead, says that he will give us the same power. That God who raised his own son from the dead will come live in you 
and Christ in you, Paul says, will be glory. Glory not just when you die, but glorious living right now through your living and by your life. I'll never be like Jesus. I'll never be perfect like Jesus was perfect. I'll never be completely immersed in His Spirit and in His life. But I guarantee you I'll be a better Buckner fan. With Christ in me, the hope of glory, and Christ in you, He can drive away the fear and unlock the doors and dissipate the doubts. He will come with His life in you and in me if we will just let Him. There's nothing magic about it. There's nothing esoteric about it. There are no key words. There are no hidden formulas. It's just an openness to Him to say, come into my heart. Come into a heart that walks for fear and open it up and help me to get out of myself and out into a world to share this marvelous life that you have given me through Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you do that this morning? Mary and Peter and John ran to the tomb wouldn't you walk down this aisle or walk down this aisle or walk down this aisle and say, I'm going to follow Christ? I'm going to let him be a part of my life, not just intellectually saying I'm a Christian, not just culturally agreeing with Christian principles. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection inside of my own life. I want to live in a new way, and you will. Christ will do that. He has promised to do that. And progressively you will experience the growing power of his unconditional love and grace within your life. Just begin. Begin with your life. Begin with your life. Trust Christ as your Savior. Maybe to come into the life of this church, to move your membership here, if this is where you feel God would have you worship. You, you may want to join some other church in this city, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Pentecostal, Methodist. Name them. We'll help you to do that. What we're interested in is you're knowing Christ and you're letting Christ come into your life. And if he leads you to be a part of Trinity Baptist Church and a part of the work and worship that goes on in this place, we invite you with open arms and an open heart. But most of all, we invite you to let Christ get under your skin. Let Christ get in the middle of your life and become a part of your living, breathing, and all of life will be different. And the resurrection will not be something that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. The resurrection will be something that's happening to you right now, day by day and moment by moment in San Antonio. Trust him. Follow him. Just as you are, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Many of you know that. If you don't, don't worry about singing it. Don't anyone move, please, except those who will be coming down these aisles. The most important moment in this service is not this sermon, is not the music, not the video. The most important moment in this service is when people decide to give their life to Jesus Christ. At the 8 o'clock service this morning, many came. Come. Follow him. Let him into your life. And he will do wonders for you. Just as I am, I come. Come on. Let's stand. Let's sing. And you come.